Welcome to the Bladcast, and Merry Christmas to all of you, or Merry Christmas Eve, to be more accurate. Yes, I wanted to squeeze in one more show here in 2020. Not that, uh, you know, 2020 deserves another show, but uh, I guess uh, all of you deserve another show for putting up with 2020, but also for uh, putting up with the Bladcast. We will be back in early 2021, but... More on that later. For this episode, we've got two brand new musician interviews, both of which can be found in video form over on the Blackcast YouTube channel, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. In a bit, I'll chat with a young musician named Austin Moe. He has a terrific new song called The River. You'll hear a little of that at the very end of the show. But first up, it's another visit with Mitch Perry of the Mitch Perry Group, who has a perfect piece of music for this time of year, a song called A Very Merry Christmas. He's also got a great little rocker that came out this fall called St. Valentine's, which you just heard to start the show. So without further ado, let's get to our first guest. Joining me now is Mitch Perry of the Mitch Perry Group and uh, so many other things that it would be, it would take uh, the whole interview to list each and every one of them, but we'll talk about some of those things. He's also got a great new Christmas song that's a uh, the sentiment of which we can all enjoy at this time. Uh, very Merry Christmas. Welcome back to the show, Mitch. Oh, thanks for having me. So uh, talk about how this song came about. Uh, I guess you uh, didn't sit down and write it just now. It's uh, actually something you had uh, worked on a while ago, right? Yeah, it's funny. I, uh, I'd gotten a piano in my house for the first time in a long time, uh, back around 2007. And yeah, like most of my favorite songs that I've written, this was one that just came about where I was banging on some chords, having fun, not really thinking about too much. And, and you know, it, it, the song takes shape in your head. and. And it was like, right away with the chords, I went, wow, if I ever wanted to write a Christmas song, this is it. Yeah. And, and then upon doing that, I mean, literally, A Very Merry Christmas came into the chorus, you know, uh, and, and that was it. So the song, the song was written, again, pretty quickly. Uh, and I, I went in and tracked it with some friends, and uh, we, we, we put it out. It, it didn't come out anything like what it should have. And... You know, it was a uh, a thing that I thought had come and gone, and and then I was playing it on the piano again recently uh, for a friend, and they went, "Why why are you not recording this? This yeah. is a hit. This is great." And I'm like, I, "I thought so, but it sounded like garbage the last time we recorded <laughs> it." So uh, we went in and uh, gave it a second a shot, and. Uh, and I'm glad we did, you know, uh, we, we, I mean, saying we went in was a bit of a misnomer in these COVID times, there's nothing like a regular session. It was more like, you know, I, I played the piano, sent it to Tal, who played the drums, who sent it back to me. I played the guitar and the bass, then had Dan add bass over mine and, you know, so on and so on. So it, what, what's really funny is, none of the musicians involved really knew what the end result was going to be until it was finished because we were all doing it one at a time. So. Right. And I mean, even pre COVID, I think a, a lot of music gets made that way these days anyway. So I'm sure everybody was uh, comfortable with uh, that, that sort of approach yeah. to it. 
Yeah, that's not the way I like to do it, though. No, but, no, no. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I've talked to musicians who have been in studio, but in a way where it's like, well, this guy's down the hall in that room. And, you know, so it's like they can hear each other. They're in the same building, but they're actually not in the same, like, open air studio space. There's a thing. There's a thing. Uh, there's a combustion that happens. And it's not it's not a tangible thing. I mean, you can record your drums, you can record your bass, you can record your guitars, line up everything, or even play in the feel in the pocket, you know, where you want it. And and it's all great and it's all correct. And anything I'm saying here, nothing's right or wrong. This is a yeah, whole sure, of course di not. different yeah. opinions, obviously, of different perspectives. Um, but for me, there's a thing that happens when you have two musicians playing at the same time together. You pulse together, and, and it's different than if you're trying to line up with playing along to a track. It, you know, when you're all in the same room. One of the things I did for uh, Music Box is it was very important to me uh, that all the tracks, we never used just drum tracks and then added bass I, I, and then added guitar. Um, we rehearsed the songs live mm -hmm. and played them live in the studio as we would like at a regular show, knowing we would probably add overdubs and maybe change parts here and there, but still the pulse and the whole, the, the whole way we played the song had more of a live feel than if we were just playing to a drum track that had been recorded to a click, you know, because we were all reacting to each other at that moment. And by the way, I didn't use a click when we recorded the album either. Right. I wanted the songs, you know, to breathe. I, I feel that's missing in music today. I mean, yes, it's all perfect, but... I, you know, for me, it, music's a living, breathing thing, and, and, and it doesn't have to be locked into one tempo from the start of a song to the finish, you know, depending on the excitement of the part or, or whatever, it, it can shift. Right. And exactly. And I think, you know, being in person in some way, it's something that, you know, those of us as music fans, we get to see more in person. There's sort of that that eye contact between the guitar player and the bassist. And it's like, uh, hang on, I'm going to do a little bit more of this or like, OK, now let's get into that. And, you know, if you guys are all recording it separately, there is none of that like, oh, watch this, you know. I mean, just like us talking right now. How exciting would this be if you recorded all your parts and I wrote out all my answers and I, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. it's the exact same thing. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. How silly does that sound? Yeah, no, it, 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 it's, it's a great uh, comparison. And, you know, I think that uh, a lot of uh, print media, they do sort of have their conversations that way. You know, you'll hear about people just email back and forth and it's like, oh, okay. I mean, I guess that that works, but when you're having a conversation like this, it's much more natural. If you think of something, you don't have to write down like, oh, I don't want to forget about it. So yeah, I can see how it worked for this song, but this is uh, obviously not uh, your ideal way to record. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the song itself. Uh, let's uh, start with the vocals on the song, which uh, I think are great. And of course, the song is called uh, Very Merry Christmas. Ah, well, the vocals, uh, it's a Christmas song. So obviously that means we're kind of leaving 
Rush Waters or, uh, you know, anything crazy musical. Um, for me, it's all about the vocal. And, yeah. and because it's a Christmas song, it's a simple vocal. It, you know, and as I told Kara, you know, if you know her singing from Music Box, I mean, you know, she can sing Aretha with the, be with the best of them. You know, right. this is a girl with a lot of soul. And, you know, the melody line is, can you feel it in the sunshine? You know, not a whole lot to it. And it's really simple in the beginning. And, and, and the whole part, it, it, it was like taking on personas. And Kara did that. You know, we had Randy Scholes who had been filling in for Keith England. Uh, you know, Keith has been, you know, quarantining with the COVID thing. And we had some... Uh, uh, some commitments that we had with that I wanted to uh, perform at uh, in Vegas and uh, Keith uh, wasn't able to make that show so Randy came in and filled in and while we we're in the studio he came in and, and added the uh, little answer and call in the vocal uh, and funnily enough the, the biggest coincidence is Randy was also a singer for Ronnie Montrose as was Keith England so oh wow that lineage stays complete, of course, with uh, with Dan McNay playing bass on this track. So, uh, but getting back to the vocals, uh, we had Kara, kind of, uh, you know, she came in and sang the lead. We had Randy answer those uh, those uh, chorus bits, and I had done some work with Joe Retta where he kindly helped me out uh, stacking all those backgrounds, the beautiful backgrounds that you hear. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm a fan of all the old Beach Boys stuff. I mean, Pet Sounds is one of my required listening records. And, and I used to love all the old Beach Boys, uh, you know, records, you know, when they get to their Christmas songs and do their standards and whatnot. Um, and, and especially Phil Spector and, you know, the stuff he did with the Crystals and the Ronettes and all that. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because it's, you know, it's not in the style, but it sort of reminds me of the way you feel when you listen to one of those Ronettes uh, Christmas songs. And we hear them every year. You know, we have local, uh, you know, Christmas all day stations. We have them on satellite radio. And uh, so it, it's, uh, you know, in the best way possible, it was reminiscent of, you know, again, not exactly the sound, but it's like, oh yeah, this is this is like hearing the the Ronettes, and those yeah. are some of the you know some of the most iconic uh, Christmas songs that uh, you know, that really live on. I think absolutely, and and thank you so much for saying what you just did because that's exactly what I was hoping to accomplish. Is I certainly wanted to evoke those memories and those feelings. I mean, you know, uh, that that meant Christmas to me as a kid. And I wanted to bring that back. And, but I didn't want to do it by Xerox copying it. You know? No, right, exactly. Which, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll hear, I, I, I don't know, I mean, you know, each Christmas, you only get so many new songs. For the most part, people are like, okay, well, here's my spin on this. Some of them are very interesting. Some of them, you feel like, well, I don't know why you bothered. It, it sounds like a less good version of the original. You know, I mean, you, you know, from rock and just contemporary singers, you know, you, you'll get an interesting spin on it, but you really do get so few. So that's why I think some of the, you know, the, the heyday of, of I guess, early-ish rock and roll, like the 60s and 70s, 
you got great stuff. Like you mentioned the Beach Boys, you know, uh, and Chuck Berry, Run Run Rudolph, which I don't know how many oh. times I've heard that cover, but that's just, you know, it's just like, how much fun is that song, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the, uh, the, the Beach Boys, again, have those, those great Christmas songs. And it's like, the key to it, I think, is if your Christmas song doesn't seem like a throwaway, you know, if it's like, oh, this could have been on Pet Sounds, this could have been on, yeah, as much yeah, I feel that way about every piece of music played. I, I mean, I, 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 you know, when, when we're in the studio and I'm producing, one thing I try and explain to you know, this applies to every instrument, to every singer, to every, you know, whatever you're doing. There is no such thing as a wasted note. There's every, every note is as important as the next one. Um, I mean, if you go in there with that attitude, you're going to get a much, you know, a much more concise, much clearer performance. And, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's why I think some of your, you know, your, your best artists, their, their B-sides or bonus tracks, those are also great songs, you know, oh, absolutely. it's just like, you know, especially in the old days, it's like, well, we had to, we had to put out 10, you know, so we had 30, but uh, we couldn't put them all in, you know? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think you can, you can tell when something's like, Okay, well, we've got 20 more minutes of studio time. Let's uh, do a Christmas song before we get out of here. Yeah, yeah I think no, that, exactly. Uh, you know, you, you know when the uh, you know when the uh, record company wanted a Christmas song. You know when, <laughs> I mean, you know, for 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 the record, my favorite Christmas song, even though I love all the the Phil Spector stuff, is so. This is Christmas. You know, Happy Christmas War is over. The John yeah. Lennon thing. And to me, that's just a brilliant song. You know, forget the fact that it's about Christmas. It's just. Yeah. I mean, just the amazing, the, the fact that the message is, you know, just the war is over. I mean, that's the parenthetical yeah. in the title. Uh, and, and it's interesting because every Christmas you'll of course hear that. And Paul's got uh, the wonderful Christmas time from wings. Uh, and yet uh, Ringo and George never uh, dipped into the, uh, the Christmas well, unless I'm, I'm missing one, but uh you know, there's still time for Ringo. Yeah, yeah, Ringo could get it, and and, and who knows? Well, maybe Danny's got something in the uh, it, in the vault. Yeah, in the vault. But uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you, for me, George makes up with uh, all things must pass. Yeah. That record was so great, and it was Phil Spector. So that's the uh, that's the Christmas album. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, just just that's a Christmas present. Just listen to the whole thing. Yeah, uh, yeah and it's uh, you know, it's funny because so many, you know, th every year when you're listening to like the Christmas stations and stuff, yeah, there's always the handful of like, oh, I forgot about so and so. But then it's like, oh yeah, of course. Like in addition to all of Bruce Springsteen's songs, you always hear that Santa Claus is coming to town. You know. Oh, yeah. And uh, which, which I want to admit, we totally stole the Glock parts from. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and it's just like you can and that I mean, it, it, it seems like that's a live recording and it's like it seems like everybody's having fun. And then, you know, a lot of times your Christmas songs come off as fun and, you know, it, it does transcend genres that's what i like about sort of the christmas stations you'll get the pop songs of course you're going to hear mariah carey at least once an hour but you're also going to get 
Chuck Berry and the Beach Boys and some of the other things we've talked about. Yeah. And uh, not to uh, to undersell one of my favorites, of course, which is the the Kinks' Father Christmas, which uh, doesn't have the most upbeat message, but uh, I always like the uh, I always like to make sure I hear that at, at least once, you know. Um, so uh, there was something you said earlier that I wanted to backtrack to. Uh, so when I the last time I talked to you was very early in uh, lockdown quarantine times. <clears throat> I think I talked to you in like April, uh, but uh, you referenced, I think that you played live in, in Vegas. Was that some point in the last few months or? Yeah, Imperom, basically okay. what had happened is uh, there, there's an award show called the LA Produ uh, the Las Vegas Producers Honors Awards um, that's put on every November. This year, they were nice enough to award us. Uh, I got Outstanding Producer and Production of the Year for uh, for um, Music Box, and they gave us Video of the Year for Believe. Unfortunately, twice the uh, shows were canceled. Right, uh, of course, yeah. Because of what was going on. And so what ended up happening is they found a uh, place in Pahrump where they could put on, I mean, we were in an 1150 capacity ballroom with 50 people. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk about social distance. It, yeah. it was hilarious. It was like playing a sound check and I'm going... It, the show's a success. It's a sold-out crowd. Yeah. <laughs> but we've had bigger crowds at Soundcheck. Um, you know, but it, it was a great chance. You know, I knew we were going to do it. I knew it was going to be done safe. I mean, literally, the, the, the closest tables to us were like 30 feet away from the stage. So it, right. it was done properly. And, and I have to thank Al Bowman and... Uh, and Brian Scott and the guys who all put this show on for doing it that way, because they made it, obviously it's with everything going on, you, you have to take everything seriously and you can't be cavalier about doing what you want just because you want, you know? So yeah. uh, that was a real important part to me that we were able to accomplish this. But that we were was one thing. The other thing, and I got to say, um, I knew we were doing this a couple of months in advance or that there might be a chance we were sure, yeah. So I wanted my band to be ready because let's face it, none of us has played in a year. <laughs> <laughs> and even if the Lakers all got together to shoot hoops, if they've been sitting down for nine months, they ain't going to be that impressive. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the same for us. So we've been uh, we've been rehearsing a couple of times a week for the last couple of months. And, and uh, obviously, like I said, we we lost Keith. Uh, he didn't want to venture out, which I totally understand. And Randy was nice enough to come in and fill for him. Um, the same thing with Dave Schultz on keyboards. We had John Greathouse come out, and and. I was completely fortunate because we didn't have Tal Bergman, who's one of our secret weapons. Uh, um, I was incredibly blessed to get Gary Ferguson on drums. And, you know, Gary played with Hughes Thrall, with Gary Moore, with Eddie Money, with the New Radicals. I mean, you know, wow. seriously, yeah. seriously great drummer. Um, and so anyway, 
uh, the band had rehearsed for a couple months. So it, it was the first time we'd gotten to play these songs, the originals, and step into them with both feet forward, where you're not wondering, oh, am I going to screw up this next chord or, you know, I mean, we, we would really uh, put it, put a, uh, put a good set together and it just felt so great to play again. I mean, it was almost a tease because, you know, uh, obviously th this is not going to be happening, happening this often. And, uh, yeah. and, oh man, it just reminded me of how much I missed it. Cause right. it, it, I mean, and you were talking about how there were 50 people, but if you know, you're able to play and there's five people, it's like, yeah, but we still get to be on stage and play. I can see. And yeah, I mean, that's, I think a lot of people sort of look at it that way in terms of just uh, actually seeing live music. I know over the summer you had some examples of, uh, you know, there were bands that were able to play outdoors a lot more, uh, you know, especially in parts of the country where they seemed to feel like it would be reasonably safe. Uh, so yeah, but I think we're entering a time where that's a lot less common, but I guess the flip side of that is that there's, there's a vaccine going around. So I think that, uh, those of us who want to be optimistic and maybe get a little ahead of ourselves, uh, we, at least for me, I try to tell myself that, uh, well, I'll, I'll see live music sometime this summer, even if it's the well, end of the summer. Well, no, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, like I said, I, I was very, very concerned about playing the show and that I wanted it done right. I, I wasn't taking it lightly or being cavalier about it. And, and one of the reasons, and one, you know, people like from the beginning of lockdown, oh man, when are they going to let us play again? When are they? And it's yeah. like, who cares? <laughs> I, I'm going, it doesn't matter. We can't do what we're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, if we play right now, everything that constitutes a successful show is exactly what constitutes a bad COVID yeah. spread of that. Yeah. Your, your list so, of uh, your, your list of no-nos. It's like all the things you need for a great concert. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so having said that until we know, you know, and this is down the road until we know the answers to all those things, you can't even really seriously think about how we're going to do this in any normal way. Yeah. And what I was referring to so much uh, is referring to about the buzz of playing wasn't so much for the audience because it was so spread. And you know, I mean, I, I couldn't see anyone anyway from the stage. <laughs> it wasn't that. And, and obviously that's a whole nother thing that we're missing because there's an electricity that happens when you sure. have an audience and that electricity will only happen when we can do it without worrying about any kind of restrictions. Um, but no, the, the buzz I was talking about was the loud instruments, the band locked in together yeah. and basically eight of us moving as one organism, you know, which when a band is functioning, right? That's what it is. It's one moving thing and, and and that was just such a blast but and man have I missed doing it this year <laughs> <laughs> right and yeah so it just reminds you that uh, whenever it is okay to do and it is safe then it's uh you know you'll be you'll be ready to go even if it's for you know 50 people and 1100 empty seats again you know yeah. <laughs> even if yeah. that's the way absolutely count me there yeah 
Yeah, because uh, you know, it's uh, if 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 you're letting me buy one, uh, I don't mean you personally. You know, it's a, if I'm able to buy one of fifty seats in an eleven hundred and fifty seat venue, I'm like, yeah, you could probably make the price of that ticket something really obscene, and I'll be like, yeah, I think it's it's worth it to actually get to see something, you know, and also feel safe about it. Uh, you referenced that that event was to recognize the song Believe. And the last time I talked to you, that was new. I wanted to kind of get a little bit of an update on the reaction to that song. Obviously, uh, the that 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 awards, that producer's awards, uh, felt that the, the video in particular was uh, something to to acknowledge. Uh, what kind of reactions did you have you gotten generally in the months since that song came out? We have been so blessed and so honored. I mean, the critical reviews from magazines right from classic rock to, you know on down i mean we've been getting i think the worst review is an eight out of a town a <laughs> lot of uh, a lot of uh album of the year or one wow. of the best of the year wow. from you know a, multiple people and, and sources and you know we, we've been getting a lot of love from radio stations that normally are not you know, doing that. So, I, I mean, I wish we could be out playing right now. Sure, yeah, of course. I mean, with the kind of uh, response we've received with the record, I'm sure the shows would be, you know, well received. And we, I, I know from the way we played the other night, we'd be going, we'd be going over well. Um, and so, you know, it. It's a little disappointing not being able to uh, really see where we're at with that. But having said that, we've got you know a whole bunch of new fans who we did not have at the start of this whole thing. And the truth of the matter for me is when the world starts to open back up again, I don't see that we can't hit reset on this record while we're working on, you know, I mean, I've already got a second record ready. Yeah, you know. there you go. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's not like this is going any, going away or anything and, and we'll, we'll get it out there and we'll get touring it at some point, but. Yeah, uh, and, I mean, and I don't know, then the difference is that people have had, will have had more time to listen and get used to the music. You know, I think early on in uh, lockdown, a lot of uh, musicians were, we're gonna hold off. We don't know when we're gonna release anything. We'll wait till next year. But, uh, you know, then when, when you know, to bring up Bruce Springsteen again, he puts out a new album, ACDC put out a new album. They're like, yeah, just listen to this. Eventually we'll be able to tour, but, but boy, are you going to really love these songs by the time you see us, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that wasn't that the way it used to happen? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't all about the, the pre-sales of the album and like, well, we got to be number one in the first week and, you know, worry about that. It was just like, yeah, let's just listen to it and you'll see us when you see us. And uh, yeah, I think it'll be great to be able to get out there. And uh, obviously there's no shortage of uh, great venues uh, here in Southern California that uh, hopefully they're all able to reopen, you know, obviously safely. Yeah, but, I uh, mean, I, I, I gotta say, you know, I'd feel bad if I didn't mention the, the play, our home for the last three years, uh, the standing room, uh, December 20th is their final day, they're closing. Oh no. Oh yeah, that's that's heartbreaking for us. I mean, like I said, that that place basically gave birth to the uh, to the idea of music box, you know. So, yeah. 
Yeah, you. I mean, you've uh, you know there have been some high profile you know fundraisers. I know like uh, Foo Fighters did a show for the Troubadour, and you know you hear about these places that it's hard to imagine. But you know if you can't open your doors and you can't sell yeah. tickets, obviously there's there's no money coming in. So that's uh, yeah, it's sad to hear how many. You know, unfortunately, the standing room isn't the only place you're hearing that about. You know, it, it, it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, I wanted to ask you about a couple other things. One more thing is that uh, a couple of months ago, you had this uh, great song out called St. Valentine, which uh, I, I didn't talk to you when it came out, but uh, I think it's worth letting people know, you know, after they get their fill of Christmas songs will come January, you know, this will be one to put on repeat. And this is, is th this is also from the music box album with believe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I was going to say that what I love about the video is sort of the, the like animated, like comic book style with the lyrics. So uh, talk a little bit about that song and uh, the idea for, you know, doing the fun like comic book video. Well, that, that the, the uh, video idea for that came from our video guy, Ian Fisher. He did believe as well as uh, as well as St. Valentine. That, that was all his doing. Uh, the song, funnily enough, um, I knew I was doing this album at, at the time I happened to be on a plane flying back from London to L.A. And I knew that I wanted a kind of faces, stone, just kind of rocker tune, mid-tempo rocker. And I had nothing written. And remember how I said when talking about the Christmas song, they kind of just, the good ones kind of just come. Yeah, this, sure. I, this thing came to me on a plane. I mean, I wrote the words down, wrote the chords I heard in my head down, hummed a couple of melodies into my iPhone, got home, got off the plane, picked up a guitar, it all worked together. And that's the first song on the record, uh, St. Valentine. And it's pretty much as it was written on the plane. We didn't change anything up when we were arranging it for the band. Yeah, you hear that so often about, uh, you know, the, the best songs. And sometimes, you know, it's just the most popular songs and the singles. It's like, yeah, we wrote that in, you know, 20 minutes or an hour yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I maybe this is pretzel logic, so I don't have to work hard. <laughs> but, but I find... I find if a piece of music is flowing and smooth and, and goes where it wants to, it, it shouldn't take a lot of, it shouldn't be a dental extraction to get it out. Of <laughs> yeah. You know, now, and, and once again, no rights are wrong. I mean, there are people who sit here and spend hours, you know, I mean, years working on their stuff and make exquisite music i mean so you know however it works is however it works but for me i just find going back and listening to a song that kind of came to me like that i always seem to like it better than when i'm listening back to something i've relentlessly attacked and rewritten and shaped and when that's not quite right i can fix it by doing this you know maybe it's just the fact that you know my subconscious memory knows what a pain in the ass it was and i don't like it <laughs> but uh 
Yeah. There's just something missing for, for me about that. But once yeah. you get different strokes for different folks. It- yeah. And look, a lot of times, you know, you'll hear about musicians who spend, you know, well, in the old days, millions upon millions of dollars and re-record it like three or four different times. And then the album comes out and it's like, yeah, I'm going to listen to the old one because, uh, you know, this, this didn't have that you know, that fire to it, you know, that, uh, that it had. So sometimes, you know, you can tinker too much, you know, the, the- absolutely. I mean, you know, here, here's the thing to remember about music. I mean, as more and more information becomes available, we analyze and we compartmentalize and we, we know how this works together and, and we, we, we know how it all works. But at the end of the day, the people who listen and respond to music, they're not musicians and they don't care about any of it. They just feel it. And it yeah. either feels good and it either, or it doesn't. And, and I believe it's even feel more, more than any, more than melodies, more than, you know, obviously it's all important, but I mean, rhythm is the most essential thing to, you know, to, Look, we wouldn't have rap if it wasn't for rhythm, right? That's a great point, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, I mean, obviously that, you think of your favorite rock songs. Why do we love Zeppelin? I mean, yes, everything's great, but man, when Bonham is hitting those drums, it's Zeppelin, you know? I mean, Motown, all those backbeats, the way those guys play... You know, that's such a big part of it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, when you think about it, you you know, if anybody were to sit down and think of their favorite songs, they probably fell in love with that song in like 10, 15 seconds. You know, like right away, you're like, oh, yeah, this is a great one. You know, as soon as you hear it and, you know, Zeppelin's a a great example, you know, especially when you have, you know, when you have John Bonham uh, on the drums uh, and and it's Moby Dick and you're like, yeah, I don't even, I don't even need any lyrics. You know, I just, I just want to just sit back and, you know, close my eyes and listen to it. Uh, The last time that I talked to you, uh, I, I didn't get around to asking uh, this idea of, you have this few different moments in your career where you stepped into some very large shoes because you replaced Randy Rhodes and quiet riot, uh, Ingway Malmsteen and Steeler and Billy Sheen and Talis. Uh, obviously I don't think any of them at that point were what they would go on to become, but you know, you're basically coming in and replacing, you know, some of the, you know, especially when it comes to Randy and Ingwe, Ingwe, these are like people that, you know, are always mentioned in sort of like the Mount Rushmore of guitarists. I was just wondering about coming in and uh, just like, yeah, I get, I'm going to just do my thing and uh, hopefully it works. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a funny thing. You, you mentioned the Randy Rhodes thing. You got to understand when that happened, Randy hadn't even, he had just gone to England to record right. his records. So the only reason I even knew about the gig, I had gotten flown out to LA in uh, January of 1980 to record a record with Alfonso Johnson. Uh, we spent about six months working on it. And, and then uh, two weeks before its release, uh, the A&R department at Electra got fired and we were one of the casualties uh, when our A&R guy went. Right. So, uh, here I am in LA. I don't want to go back to Florida. I hadn't really networked. So I go to the guitar center where I'd bought my Marshall and uh, 
the Wayne, the guy who sold it to me, he seemed to be in the middle of everything. So I said, dude, who's looking for a guitar player? <laughs> and I kid you not. He says, oh, you should join Quiet Riot. Who are they? Because they're bigger than Van Halen. Go, Sounds good to me. Uh, we, we called up Rudy Sarzo from the Guitar right. Center. And this is the old Guitar Center across the street from where the one is now. Yeah, sure. And uh, we call Rudy up and him and I speak a little bit uh, because he's from, you know, he lived in Miami and that's where I'd come from. So we had a few uh, mutual acquaintances and he had left just prior to that to join Angel, but he gave me Kevin's number. I went from the Guitar Center to Kevin's house, played him the acetate, if you remember what those were, test pressings of LPs. Oh, That's sure. That's yeah. of Alfonso's uh, album that I did. Played him that, got the gig, and literally uh, went to uh, headline four nights at, uh, the, um, at the Starwood with uh, Smile and Snow opening up. And it was, um, you know, I mean, I had no idea who any of these guys were. <laughs> and, and Randy to me, and this is no disrespect, uh, but he was just Randy, the kid in the band I was replacing. You sure, know? Yeah. And, and Kevin was like, worship the ground Randy walked on. So everything anyone else did was wrong. And yeah. I got so sick of hearing how, <laughs> how wonderful Randy was yeah. and how you know terrible I was doing that. By the time Randy came out, I probably wanted to like anything, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Which is not the case, I think. Yeah, of course, but uh, but yeah. you know, it, it's just funny. You ask, how do you think of these things? It was just like I was replacing some kid at the time. Yeah. And now I look back and I go, wow, I was there. <laughs> you know, and, and then the Ingve thing is another funny story because I had uh, Mark Edwards, the uh, drummer in Steeler, was a friend of mine, had been staying on my couch right up to when he joined Steeler and moved into the infamous Steeler mansion. Um, I mean, I met Ingve the night they picked him up from Sweden. <laughs> at that time I had this great gig that was uh, I mean it, it was a great band it was Randy Castillo on drums and Ralph Mormon the singer from uh, the Joe Perry Project sure yeah music do the talking yeah um, I mean a phenomenal band Dutch Courage and all 25 of our friends who'd come out to our shows loved it <laughs> and 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 Ingve shows up and Steelers like selling out four or five nights everywhere they play, and Ingve does nine shows and and leaves. <laughs> and, and so they asked me to fill in, and and that was a little bit of a weird thing because, I mean, I I can kind of play that style. I understand it, but I don't do it well, and it's certainly not it's not what I want to do. You know, I appreciate it, and, but it, it's just not my style of playing. So, you know, that was a little bit different as far as having to replace him, uh, you know, cause I'm trying to appease 
the fans who are coming to see that stuff, but I'm also right. trying not to sound like a total imposter. Um, you know, I, and, and you mentioned Billy Sheehan. I didn't replace Billy. I joined Billy. Oh, I see. I misunderstood yeah. that. That must have been great to get to play with Billy then. Yeah, the, the greatest learning experience in the world. I mean, you stand, the, the hardest thing to do when you were playing in, in that band was concentrate on what you do because you're always looking over at what Billy's doing going, how the hell is he doing that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's neat to talk about that because I literally uh, a month ago just put tracks on two uh, Talos songs. We, you know, I did the live Speed on Ice album, but we right. never did a studio album. Now, Billy's got another version of Talos together, which includes the uh, original drummer and and uh, and singer from when I was in the band, uh, but I'm out here and they've got a guitar player back there, but they wanted to do two of the songs I had written for the original album oh, back cool. in okay. the day. And they asked if they did them, would I play on them? So yeah, yeah I was more than honored to. And sure. uh, I haven't heard the mixes yet. I, I know what, what I laid down, it sounded pretty cool. So I'm really, really excited to, uh, yeah. Oh no, that'll be great. I didn't even realize that uh, you know that he was working on uh, something new with uh, Talos. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you about is, I don't quite know the capacity in which you worked with him. I don't know if you were in the video, just played on the album, but uh, I, I you... lost your uh, audio on. Oh, okay. After uh, can you hear me now? Yep. Okay, so uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, I'm not quite sure what capacity you worked with Sam Kinison, but uh, I, did you do the, the video for Wild Thing, the album? What, did, what exactly was your involvement? Because I saw a picture of you on stage with him. Oh yeah, and, no. I, well, first off, we were good friends. Um, yeah. I was unfortunately out of town on the road when they did Wild Thing, or I was oh, up there as well. Um, but, you know, basically, Sam had a, a round table of musicians that he would hire to, you know, do his shows, you yeah. know, and depending on who was around and where the show was, it, it would change from to time, from time to time. But, you know, I, I got to do more than my fair share of the shows with him. And it was never a boring experience, <laughs> not once. Not yeah. even for a tenth of a second. That, that that's what it always sounds like. It's uh, it's funny. My uh, I I've worked for a long time with the comedian Dennis Miller, and he's he knew Sam, you know, way back. And he was talking about how uh, one of his favorite moments was uh, Sam walked in, uh, and he was like, "Oh, Dennis, I'd like to introduce you to Seika, who of course was like one of the biggest like porn stars in the world at that time, you know, and it's just like, you know, like you said, never a dull moment with Sam. Absolutely <laughs> never a dull moment. But yeah. you know, the one thing, you, you know how Hollywood could be, uh, you know, you could be at the rainbow, but you know, your best friend, if they're sitting at a table with somebody who's more important than you, Sometimes they don't say hello. You know, <laughs> sure. Sam could be sitting with the president. If you walked in, he'd, he'd jump up and down. Hey, you know, he'd, he'd be friendly. And now she is the greatest guitar player ever lived. And oh, you know, that's great. You know, He's just a great guy. So yeah, that's that's what you what you always hear about him. And uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, just his his stage persona alone was uh, you know truly uh, something very unique that I don't think uh, we'll ever see anything similar to that well, again. You know, I mean, 
I, I mean, I feel the same way about that that I do about a lot of music in, in that, you know, what he was doing. Yeah, it was funny. And yeah, there is comedy routines, but man, it was all real. I mean, he meant, you know, it all came from a real place. Uh, he was, you know, whereas, uh, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of other comedy could, could be considered more contrived for me. It just seemed like, you know, Sam's stuff about religion, I mean, you know, he was a preacher. He knew what he was talking about when he was making fun of it. He wouldn't just make him. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that was always the the funniest stuff was uh, yeah. the, the, anything dealing with the religion and all that. Well, uh, Mitch, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I, I hope uh, that, uh, you know, at some point before we know it, uh, I am able to uh, to see the band live. And uh, if there's eleven hundred empty seats, uh, I, I, I think it'll only be for the best reasons. <laughs> well, and, and if there are, I will make sure you get the one that's 100 yards away. <laughs> that's perfect. I appreciate <laughs> that uh the song we're talking about a very merry christmas is out there but obviously the the music box album uh what's the best place for people to just just yeah. google mitch perry project yeah if, if you go to mitchperry.com mm-hmm. it'll have everything that you need to to you know see or, or get you go to our youtube channel which is mitch perry group um, you know, the songs, uh, music box uh, and all that's available on all the downloads and you can get the, uh, the hard stuff, um, off our website. Um, and yeah, we're going to be putting up the Christmas song there as well. I don't think that's going up quite yet because we well. were a little late off the mark on getting everything <laughs> done, but we still there's, wanted to share it with everyone. So they got to. Yeah, there's only a few more shopping days, so you want to get it out there for sure. Exactly, yes. So, <laughs> Well, Mitch, it's uh, like I said, it's always great to talk to you. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks again. Likewise, thanks for having me, and uh, have a happy holidays. And we'll see you and soon. And happy, happy New Year, because it's, uh, it, it has to be better than this oh, one. Oh, <laughs> that is the one thing. I, I mean, you don't have to be Nostradamus to say 2021 is going to get better. It's going to definitely be better. <laughs> it's got Thanks again, Mitch. Take care. Austin Moe has a great song out there called The River. Welcome to the show, Austin. Thank you so much for having me, man. 
Absolutely. Now, I was reading through the notes. I was uh, listening to the song on repeat uh, four or five times uh, this morning while I was going through all of it. Uh, love the song. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Uh, what I thought was great, uh, you're uh, in your uh, early 20s, so I thought it made sense for the age you are that you didn't start out just playing guitar. I, I love the fact that uh, you really started out playing Guitar Hero. Uh, talk yeah. a little bit about that and what some of your favorite songs were on that game. So the Guitar Hero that struck a chord with me along with probably tens of thousands of kids was, uh, I believe it came out probably around 2008 to nine area. It was Guitar Hero 3. Okay, and- sure. Uh, I got way too good at that way too quick. (laughs) And the first uh, song that I ever played on the hardest difficulty was Slow Ride by Foghat. Wow. And uh, So there was like songs like that. There was Tenacious D. There was, of course, you know, the the super hardest one, Dragon Force, which I still can't play today, but I'm okay with it. But I got way too good at that to the point where I would walk around the house and do chores, not facing the television, and I would still not miss a note. (laughs) And so I was kind of learning the songs, but just on five buttons. And so my dad called me into his room one day and he was like, hey, you know, you're really good at this game. And and um, do you would you ever want to pick up a guitar? Because in his mind, he was like, well, Austin's learning the music but just on five buttons. So imagine what would happen if you put that time into a like actual instrument. And I was like, well, you know, I don't really have a guitar and I don't, I don't have the money for that right now. And cause this is um, right around middle school, like seventh grade area. And my dad was like, well, if you had a guitar, would you play it? And I was like, yeah, I think so. And so he called up his friend and his friend lent him the flying V that's actually in that video of the river. And I was only supposed to have it for like five or six months just to get some basics down and, you know, maybe play smoke on the water or something. And (laughs) right. Of course (laughs) I've had it for 10 years now and I still haven't put it down. Oh, that's great. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, it, it. And that's a, you know, a lot of times people's first guitar is probably, uh, you know, not something as cool as that, you know, it's like a, you know, $20 acoustic guitar or something. So, uh, yeah, I think that's funny what you're talking about, sort of the way you're going around, you know, learning these songs by pushing the five buttons. It's almost like, you know, if there'd been a video game uh, of some sort where, you know, we're like cooking all day, it would be like why don't you just cook for real you know instead of like making pretend food you know so uh i i think that's a that's a great instinct by your dad uh and uh now at some point did you uh did you still every once in a while go back to guitar hero where because it was fun or you were just like not another real thing is uh where it's really at every once in a while like there's one time um where I hurt myself really bad to the point where I couldn't play guitar for like two weeks. And so to get my fix, I pulled out Guitar Hero and I would invite (laughs) my friends over who I normally jam with. And they're like, what are we going to do? Your arm's broken. And I'm like, we're going to play Guitar Hero. (laughs) And they're like, but you're still better at that than me. I'm like, that's okay. I just got to get my my fix, man. I just got to have music one way or another. 
And uh, so when you start actually playing the guitar, uh, what are, uh, you know, I, I read that uh, some of your influences are, you know, very impressive influences. And maybe it's a little daunting to try to live up to people like Stevie Ray Vaughan, Joe Bonamassa, Jimi Hendrix. Had you listened to a lot of different sorts of music before Guitar Hero or was the guitar what made you try to seek out somebody like, you know, I mean, I think at the time you're talking 2008 in middle school, there probably weren't a lot of kids that were like, oh, you should really listen to Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know? Yeah. Well, thankfully, uh, my earliest memory of music is my dad driving me to elementary school in his Pro Street uh, 1974 Camaro. And the very first song that I can remember hearing as a child growing up is Peter Frampton's Do You Feel Like We Do off of Frampton Comes Alive, specifically the talk box section. And every time that would come on, I would always ask him. It, it, it Probably he would play it like in the car, outside of the car. But every time that came on, I was like, hey, what's that sound? And he's like, yeah. well, that's called the talk box. <laughs> I'm like, well, what's that do? And he's like, well, yeah. I don't know exactly, but it's something to do with your mouth and you move it. And then the record would start all over again. And then a wah would come on. And I'm like, well, hey, what's that sound? And he's like, well, that's a wah pedal. And I'm like, well, what does that do? Yeah. He's like, well, that, that creates a wah. So I've always been intrigued by music at a very young age. And he would play, you know, anything from Kiss to Dio, ACDC, uh, Tesla and like UFO and then my mom would play Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard and like Junior Brown. And so <laughs> so I had yeah. a very wide range of music. And then when I started getting into the blues, it was only after uh, I met this kid at Guitar Center who he was really like he loved the blues. And so we were jamming one day. We It, it was just happenstance. He came in the same day that I did. And we jammed and I wasn't really that good, but he was in my mind, like just years ahead of me. And so he invited me out to a blues jam one day. And thankfully the host could see that I was learning guitar, but he was gracious enough to let me on stage and play with them for three or four songs. And then that was it. I got bit by the blues and started looking up Steve Ray Vaughan and BB King and, and Joe Bonamassa and Albert King and all those guys. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you were talking about, you know, you hear the sounds and you're wondering what they were. I don't know if in, you know, thousands of years of music history, if anything has been better named than the wah-wah pedal, because it's like, well, what does it do? What goes wah? So, you know, it's a wah pedal, (laughs) you know. And uh, it's funny because, you know, Frampton Comes Alive is sort of this, that's the defining moment for the talk box, really. But uh, Mm -hmm. that it really caught on for a while there. Like there's this great, uh, there's this great Aerosmith uh, live performance from, uh, it was the Texas Jam in 1978. And Joe Perry, like, wouldn't get that thing out of his mouth. (laughs) You know, it was just like, song. Songs that maybe it didn't even need to be in there. He's just like, yeah, but check this out. But there's something like Sweet Emotion. You're like, oh, that's so cool with that added to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you see it every once in a while, you know, it's uh, but it's kind of like it's almost like the theremin, you know, that thing you play with your hands. It's like every once in a while there's like a song that requires it. But uh, yeah, and I think uh, 
I don't know. I, I, I doubt that uh, Frampton was thinking in the way where he should have bought stock in that company when uh, <laughs> Frampton Comes Alive came out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the what you're talking about sort of in terms of your parents, uh, it makes sense, you know, what the influence would be. And, you know, look, there's, there's, there's no reason to sell short Merle Haggard or Johnny Cash. It's just a very different vibe, you know. Totally. Like, my dad had a, had like all the Beatles records and the Doors and the Stones right up through the early 70s, you know. And so like that was stuff that I would hear. But man, my mom sure loved uh, Barry Manilow and John Denver. And, you know, and it's, you know, you sort of can appreciate songwriting, even if that wasn't necessarily the kind of music that I gravitated to. But yeah. your parents just really make such a, you know, such an impact on it. That's why I, I try to, my son's five. So I try to figure out like, all right, what's, what's going to be important for him you know <laughs> and what do i not want him to hear you know and it's yeah, like no no, uh, no you know, kid rock just yet really little it was there was that yeah no 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 yeah, exactly <laughs> no, you're you're not you're not old enough to be an american badass all right yeah. you know but you want to make that transition from when they want to hear like the baby shark song to like yeah yeah but how about uh how about rock and roll night from kiss that's all right you know they mm-hmm. don't say anything too bad in that one yeah. you know and uh something i'm very conscious of so that's why i, I thought uh, it was interesting so uh, you know, I guess, uh, so you start really playing guitar, I guess you're like 12, but then you get to be a, a part of, uh, some really impressive things. I guess you were what you were 16 and you played in Europe as, as part of something called blues kids of America. Talk about how that even comes about. And, and, you know, cause you're talking like just a few years earlier, you're not very, you don't consider yourself very good at playing the blues, but, uh, yeah. then you end up in Europe doing it. So talk kind of about how that comes about. So the way that transpired was my mom was we were going through the phase where they could tell that I was improving a lot each week. And we were just trying to expand our like, I guess, demographic and range and where I was playing because I had a little blues band and we were doing lots of Steve Ray Vaughan and stuff and people were loving it. And so my mom was on the internet just trying to find either guitar competitions or like people who sponsor young kids. And she came across this website that's called the Blues Kids of America. And it's put on by this amazing dude by the name of Fernando Jones. He's out of Chicago and he teaches at, um, I forgot which, it's the biggest music school there. He's one of the, the teachers. And he puts on these little blues camps for free, mind you, all over the world. So um, he's actually, they've done some in Japan. They, When I went to London, it was the very first time they went uh, out of the U.S. But when we found it, we noticed that the one uh, that they had planned for L.A. had just filled up. The one in Chicago, I think it ended the day that my mom found this website. And then there was London, England. And my mom goes, Hey, we should we should audition and try and and go to London, England. And I was like, you out of your mind? Like we've <laughs> yeah. never even been to Las Vegas, let alone a different London. country. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, "Oh, come on." So I, I was I was very like, "That's impossible." Like, "Mom, you're you're way too out of the out of the box." And she was like, "No, you need to do it." And so the process that um you needed to do to be considered for the camps was they had a list of songs and jam tracks and also uh, another little like bonus section if you actually like knew the song so um bb king's the thrill is gone was one of them and i was all oh i 
I can do that. It's just in the key of B and you know, it's a one, four, five. Mm. And so I got my little task cam recorder. It's a hundred bucks and it's got an X and Y microphone. And I grabbed my, my chair, my computer chair in the family room. I stuck it in between my dad's 300 watt Harmacarden home theater system. And I grabbed my half stack and I put that behind it and I cranked both of them up to as loud as it could go. I did one take and then I uploaded it and sent it to the um, the blues kids of America. And then I sent it to my mom because I was in the headspace of, you know, well, if if they want me, they can have me. But if not, you know, it, it wasn't meant to be. And then my mom listened to it and she was like, oh, you know, that's OK, but didn't you want to like maybe try it again i was like i already sent it so <laughs> <I> already sent it <laughs> and then thankfully they loved it because within two hours they got back to us and said hey if you can make it to london england you're more than welcome to come and hang out and be a part of this blues camp and so then it was a matter of oh my god now we got to yeah. get to london and so we did fundraisers and all of this and um, one of them was put on by Ike Turner's first daughter, Twana, and she was before Ike and Tina, so it was from his first marriage. Okay, and she was amazing. A bunch of local, really good musicians came and and raised a couple thousand dollars to help us fly over there. And even the day that I was on Fox Forty, it was like six a.m. that they wanted me to to be there, and I was. We still didn't have any plane tickets, but we were on the news saying, yeah, you know, 16 year old, all the Sacramento, Austin Moe's flying to London and, and this and that. And our family friends saw us on the news, called my brother and asked what the situation was. And she goes, oh, well, I have enough points for them to be round trip for free. Would would that help you guys? And we were like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. we booked a flight for like one o'clock that evening or you know 1 p.m it was sure, six yeah, yeah. and so we ran home packed everything up that we could flew in and uh, got down to the sacramento airport as fast as we could then we hopped on a plane to la and then from la it was a 13-hour flight to london and that was the very first time i've ever been in an airplane and so it was <laughs> overseas 13 hours and then once we we hit international borders the, the stewardess were like, hey, do you want anything to drink? I was like, no, I got a water. They were like, no, would you like some wine or like a beer? And I'm like looking at my mom. I'm like, I'm 16. What are these people talking about? Yeah, right. <laughs> so it was, it was just awesome, dude. It's such an amazing experience. And so you're doing that in London. And should uh, I assume that most of the kids there were either, you know, from parts of England or just around Europe. I mean, there probably weren't a lot of kids from the US because you talked about how there had been, you know, there'd been some in LA and Chicago. So probably most kids in the US went to to uh, events that had happened here, right? Well, 90% of the kids were from, you know, like Wales and, and all of that, but there was only five and myself included um, kids that were included from the United States. I think we had a couple thousand entries, at least, from the US and thankfully I was one of the ones that was picked. And how much time do you spend there uh, as part of this camp? So the camp itself was only five days, but we had never been outside of the country. 
And so we were talking with, um, you know, Ike's extended family and they were like, yeah, you know, you could just, you could come up for a couple of weeks if you want. And so my mom and I actually stayed there in London in total for 13 days. And we got to see Abbey Road Studios as all of the kids in the camp. We took a field trip down there and we would jam pretty much all day. The second day that we were in the camp, we got to play in an underground pub, which was really cool. It's called the Spice of Life. And if anybody has the opportunity to go there, I would highly recommend it. But it was surreal. And I want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that would be great. Uh, now, uh, obviously, you uh, referenced that uh, you know, you're from Sacramento, and when we were talking about uh, some of the music that uh, your dad, like you mentioned, Tesla, I understand you're working with Frank Hannon. He's producing some music with you. I had him on uh, over the summer. Uh, he's working with uh, a band called Red Voodoo, and uh, it seems like he's uh, – making the most of his, uh, his quarantine time, his lockdown time, because uh, he's working on a lot of stuff. Uh, So obviously him being a local guy as well, uh, talk about how that comes about though, that he uh, takes the time to uh, start working with you on some music. So the way that we met each other, it was actually kind of, it was, it was a blessing because they were on Tesla was on tour and they were playing this local casino called Thunder Valley. And that holds probably about, um, I think upwards of 20,000 people. I think I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure. And so my family friend at the time knew that it was my 21st birthday coming up and Tesla was playing the next weekend. And so he surprised me on, on the day of my birthday with, Hey, do you want to go see Tesla? And I was like, Oh, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I've seen them and watched them play in bars since they were city kids, just like you're doing right now. So I went on Facebook and I messaged Frank. I was super polite. I was like, hey, you know, this is who I am. It's my 21st birthday. My friend's a huge fan. He's been following you guys since you've been city kid. Can we just come backstage and say hello? We won't even take that much of your time. And then we'll just be out of your hair. And I didn't hear anything for a while. And I was like, well, you know, it is Sacramento. I can only imagine everybody's trying to get in for free, you right, know, because exactly. it's his hometown. And so then a day later, he hit me up. He was like, hey, Austin, good to hear from you. Da, da, da. Yeah, I can get you, you know, uh, backstage. How many passes do you need? And I was like, uh, it would be great. And he was like, yeah, just send me your information and, you know, just show up when you want. We'll let you in. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go meet Frank Hannon from Tesla. Yeah. And I'm going to really surprise my friend. And so when we got to the concert, we went backstage first thing. And I think it was right after the meet and greet because the it was obvious the little um, backdrop was set up and there was like some food that was half eaten next to it. And so I got a picture of just the backdrop and myself. And then we were looking around. We didn't see any of the guys. And so we just went back and sat in our seats. And so by like the second song of the opener, I get a text on my phone and I was like, who's texting me at a concert? And on like a, I think it was a Friday or a Saturday and it's Frank. And he's all, Hey man, are you even here? I was like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, we walked backstage. Da, 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 and he's like, Oh, well let me go send one of our guys out. He'll come and bring you to our trailer. And so we got to hang out with Frank, my friend and I for about 25 minutes before they went on. And then we kind of kept in touch and, I opened up for him 
last December, which just feels weird saying that because it feels like it was just yesterday. But yeah, last but here, December, here we are. It's December now. So <laughs> yeah, we we got to jam and it was it was just an incredible experience. And then after that show, he started talking to me about uh, recording and all of this stuff. And now here we are with the river and the music video. And it's just been a blessing, man. A little bit, yeah. a little bit of a downside because we can't play live, but really uh, a blessing because of his mentorship. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, you know, I, I, I know Frank very little, but I know Brian from Tesla pretty well at this point, and the, those two are great guys. And uh, you know that that's very cool because I don't, I don't think you're, that a lot of people have stories like yours of, oh yeah, I wrote to him on Facebook, and then you end up actually seeing him backstage. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think usually, and you know, it wouldn't even say anything negative about him if he never wrote back. It would just be as simple as like, hey, he probably didn't see it. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that's cool that, yeah, you guys actually started doing the music. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the the song itself. Now, uh, I, you know, in, in the notes, it talks to, it talks about how there's the Austin Moe experience. And then there's, is this separate from that? Is this just you as a solo artist? Is this part of your band? I wasn't quite sure if there was a difference between the two. So right now, um, we are going by Austin Mo just to establish okay. myself as more of like an independent artist. Like, you know, there's, for example, like we were talking about earlier, Steve Ray Vaughn or, or Joe Bonamassa. It's just their name. And prior to um, that, I was going by the Austin Mo experience because I thought it was a really cool, you know, like like the Hendrix experience was. And then eventually I was talking with a whole bunch of people and they were like, yeah, but you know, once certain people left Jimmy's group, he just went by Jimi Hendrix. And I was like, that's correct. And they were like, yeah. So, you know, I think it would be a smart move if you just went by awesome Mo. And I was like, okay, yeah, I understand that it would, uh, make people think oh it's austin and let's go see who's backing him rather than with that name with the whole name the experience you know whoever they see one show they're going to expect to see the next kind of a thing but i've been thankful enough to be blessed with playing with some of the best guys in the world right now i'm in the video i was playing with this guy on drums his name is stephen martin and my best friend in the world on bass and his name is spencer olson and these guys just blow me away every time we get together man and uh how long have you been uh, playing with uh, both of these guys you said that uh, spencer's like your best friend in the world so is he somebody that you guys just used to you know mess around and jam together you know before you even thought about writing songs you know we've known each other pretty much throughout all of our schooling and it yeah, was only sure. after high school that we really started to jam together and i had um a different lineup at the time but we would always go out to jams and hang out and just goof off you know being dudes yeah sure and <laughs> uh when it came to the river uh, i went up to frank's house and we wrote you know the structure of the song and then i went back home and we jammed it out as a group and we got it a little bit more ahead and then we went back up to frank's studio and then we molded it a little bit more so it's it's been a real blessing to have these guys uh playing with me 
And plus, you know, they're young, so it makes it look cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So, uh, so the uh, and and so the the river. Where would people go to find it? What's the best way? Uh, it, it, I mean, they obviously the way anything works now, it's just like oh, Austin Mo, I'll Google that and then see where it comes mm -hmm. up. But uh, what's the best way? Is it? Do you have a YouTube channel or? So the best way to find the river is quite simply just type in either on spotify apple music you could even say hey alexa play the river by austin mo and she'll do it but the the easiest way i would say is on youtube you could type in the river by austin mo and mm -hmm. on facebook and instagram you could just type in austin mo official and we'll pop right up Right. And it's uh, Austin M.O. Uh, so yeah. just so that people know what they're uh, uh, typing in. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, I, I think that the song's great. Uh, you know, it's uh, I was trying to think of, uh, you know, because I always like to be able to say like, oh, to me, it sounds like this. And like there, you know, there was a little bit of like a, a Black Crows feel to it because there is, you know, they would always have a little bit of yeah, they had that Southern rock thing, but that wasn't all that they did. You know what I mean? So yeah, it didn't sound so much like them, but it reminded me that, you know, you brought a few things to the table. Thank uh, you. And that song, The River is, uh, is, is, was that something that you've had for a while? Is this a newer song? Did Frank just say, this is the one to put out first? What it what is it about this song that you felt like this is the thing to uh, put out there right now? Well, when we were writing this song, we were kind of uh, w when we were initially looking through ideas. Uh, I had my phone out and and I brought up my notebook full of lyrical just scribbles and stuff that I've seen on Facebook that I thought kind of caught my ear, and so I had the chorus already written out in my notebook but when i brought it up there it was actually a first verse and then what was going to be the chorus is now the first verse in the river so frank was very good at like hearing things and trying and putting them in different places and stuff and when we listened to all my guitar riffs i was just sitting there just not really thinking and I came up with the, which is now the main hook, the bum, 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 And Frank heard that and he was like, hey, do that again. And I was like, do what? He's like, do what you just did. And I was like, okay. And so I did it. He was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, let's work from that. And so then we, we fleshed it out until it was a solid sounding riff. And then we we're like, okay, well, now what are we going to do for the chorus? Because that's what's going to be for the verse. And then he picked up an acoustic and just played. I'm going down to the river. I'm going down to face the truth. And I was like, Frank, that's incredible. And he was like, yeah, let's work from that. And so it was really uh, just us bouncing ideas back and forth. It, it really, we wrote the main concept of the song in one day. And it was just, wow, that's great. it was yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's interesting because it's a, it's a different kind of music. Uh, I, I'm, I can't say that I, I'm a particularly a fan of Maroon 5, but literally last week I was listening to this interview with Adam Levine and he talked about songwriting and how a lot of times, oh, I have this great chorus. And the thing to do is to make that the verse and then work really hard and have an even better chorus. Yeah. You know, like you have this thing that you're really proud of. It's like, yeah, that's great. 
but don't just rest on your laurels there. And look, there's no, there's no arguing in, in, uh, you know, I mean, I've heard a, in a tremendous version, he played a purple rain at a Howard Stern birthday party. So he's a talented musician, hugely definitely. successful. So he definitely knows how to write a song. Oh, yeah. uh, so that, that's, you know, I'm always interested in hearing, you know, interviews with people that maybe I, I don't necessarily gravitate towards because there's something that you can take away. So this, this is a great thing for you to know at, at 23, that uh, that yeah, yeah yeah let's not just be like oh we have a catchy chorus let's let's just run with it I think that mm -hmm. uh, you know it, it's important somebody like Frank is gonna know how important it is to to work hard and be like yeah that, that is nice but uh, let's come up with something else so I think yeah. having somebody like Frank in your corner is, is great and you know you are a, a little lucky that this year found Frank uh, not on the road like they usually are you know uh, right. I, yeah. I told both Frank and Brian when I talked to them how disappointed I was that I wasn't able to see Tesla out on tour with Alice Cooper and uh, Lita Ford as uh, I had uh, been really looking forward to this year but uh, it works out great for you because uh, you know I mean I, I don't know the band's out, out on the road so much you know to be able to yeah. get this kind of time with him yeah. Uh, they're, work, so, they're workaholics, man. I, yeah. I, oh, yeah. More power to them. I mean, holy cow. Yeah. No, exactly. I know, and, and it's great. And uh, you know, and it's there. There've been a lot of times where I've seen them where they have this this spot in in a bill where they're like the first of like three bands. So you know, they're sometimes going on at like six thirty, and they get like. 35 minutes or something you know and it's like they just pack so much into it so it's but it's great because i also uh, have always enjoyed seeing them you know do their own uh, headline shows as well so uh, hopefully they're out there and you were talking about how much you want to be able to play live obviously it's very hard to predict that at this point you know right. i mean i have talked to people who've done some shows because there's you know places in the country where over the summer they felt like they could do stuff outdoors uh, we both, you and I are both in California. There's not a lot of live music happening. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. you know, there, there, there've been some drive-in shows and, and when those first started, I'm like, no, that doesn't sound like fun. But now that it's like, you know, nine months in, I'm like, oh, I probably should have gone to one or two of those drive-in shows. Cause at yeah. least I would have seen some music, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, so, uh, what's, uh, what, what's the, the sort of, I know it's hard to actually like, oh yeah, we're going to release this then. And we hope to go on tour then, but what's the plan to release, uh, some more songs, release an album, and then hopefully tour at some point in 2021, if, uh, things are going well. Yeah. Right now we're just looking through the ideas, um, that I've come up with and some of the, some songs we have a good handful that we like, and we're just molding them right now and kind of doing some pre-production and seeing where, you know, where we feel afterwards. I wouldn't rule out an album, but in today's world, I've noticed as far as um, we'll, we'll call indie artists, like myself, not signed to a major label per se, um, EPs and singles are the, the pattern that I've noticed. So, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, talking to sort of uh, major labels, I, I, I assume you're familiar with the, that band Dirty Honey that's a new oh, band yeah. and they don't have representation and yet they get their songs played on the radio and they you know, get a lot of streams and, and songs, and, you know, I mean, in sales and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked to one of those guys and it's just more like it's a different model. And that's kind of the problem. I think you have a lot of people at record companies who understand what that model is, but then you have people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 44. So like, if I worked at a record company, I would, I would probably be like, well, you know, you got to put out an album and then you go out on tour, you know? And I think that yeah. there's something to be said for that, 
but I think it's, there's also like, yeah, you can work up to putting out an album, but you might as well put out some songs first. And mm-hmm. even your, your established artists seem to be doing that now, you know, <laughs> putting out a song like months before the album's supposed to come oh, out. Oh yeah. ACDC like, is, is yeah. to, to my mind, the, the most recent major artist that's done that. I think they released like, what was it? Shot in the dark, like yeah. two months before the album came out. Yeah. And it used to be like a week before the album came out. It's like, okay, now we'll put it out. But it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> so much of it is pre-orders, but just also being out there. And uh, yeah, yeah. With ACDC, it's a perfect example because they could basically follow whatever model they want. And they're like, yeah, yeah let's just uh, let people know that we're back. And, uh, you know, uh, just uh, exciting for the idea to get to see, you know, a- any of the bands that we're talking about uh, next year, but uh, hoping to uh, get to, to check out, uh, check out you live at some point. I, I saw in here that uh, at some point you guys, uh, you opened for Strawberry Alarm Clock at the Whiskey, not too yeah. far from here, which that's yeah. one of my favorite venues is the Whiskey. I, I mean, uh, I had a I had a friend who hosted a TV show there. Uh, she did a show that was called World's Greatest Tribute Bands. So yep. there would be tribute I know bands exactly from, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, there would be mm-hmm. tribute bands from around the world. So I would go to that venue like every week, you know, a little bit for free drinks, but mostly I would go because I wanted <laughs> to see these bands. And it's just, it's, cool. it's like such a cool, like little venue. And it's such a throwback, we, you know, especially when you think about like, you know, Jim Morrison being too scared to face the audience and singing backwards, you know, in like 1966, you know? Uh, So uh, I think that uh, I I look forward to the next time, you know, you're, you're somewhere like that and who knows somewhere bigger before too long. Yeah, me too. Definitely. That's (laughs) that show. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. We finished our set because we, we had like a half hour or whatever, and we were opening for strawberry alarm clock. And I think we were the first actual band of the night. And so there was about 150, maybe 200 people in the venue. And we were close. We were going to close with War Pigs. And nice. we looked up on the Whiskey's YouTube channel to see how their video production was. And the very first song that pops up is War Pigs. <laughs> so I was like, well, that's it. We can't do that. That's out of the yeah. question. I was like, what if we did Stranglehold? And my band was like, really? You want to play Ted Nugent in, uh, you know, it's L.A., right? I was like, yeah, but it's the song. It's not his, like, yeah. political views that we're singing about. They're like, okay, well, if, if you want to do that. And so at the end of our set, I naively asked the crowd, I was like, hey, who who here likes Ted Nugent? <laughs> and I have it in our archive. I he- You can hear from the stage mics, like, four or five loud no (laughs) and the one guy i'm pretty sure it was one of the guys from texas he was like yeah and i was like well (laughs) well good this one's for you dude and so we played it and knocked it out and we were talking to strawberry alarm clocks tour manager afterwards and he was like you know what when you guys said who likes ted nugent i was like oh god he doesn't know where he's at but he's young so hopefully it it works out and I was like, yeah, yeah. dude, it, how'd we do? He's like, well, I was actually Ted's drummer in the 80s. Oh, cool. And you guys did really good. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm glad. Yeah. No, look, Ted is uh, one of those uh, amazing guys. He's highly entertaining if you're going to talk to him about hunting. And if, mm-hmm. if, if you can just sort of ride through the political talk, that's fine. But you know he'll he'll do interviews with somebody like uh somebody like eddie trunk on on uh, Sirius, where it's just like i don't want to talk about politics i want to talk about rock and roll you talk to him about rock and roll 
for hours. And it's like, it's easy to think of him as the, the guy, you know, in the media that people think of, but yeah. you know, you can't argue with the body of work and look, there, oh, there are totally. plenty of people whose politics uh, you could definitely take or leave wherever anybody stands. It's just like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. We get it. We, we know about the rainforest. We know about this, but are you a good musician? You know, and right. Ted, Ted's amazing. So stranglehold, I think is a great choice. It's almost like if you didn't ask, if people liked Ted and he just started playing, everybody's like, oh yeah, I love this song. And then yeah. later on, they would have thought about, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Didn't yeah, he yeah. vote for somebody that I don't want to vote for, you know? But yeah. anyway, uh, well, so that's great. Well, I I, uh, I can't wait to see uh, who you ask people if they like uh, the next time that you're down in LA. <laughs> and what the reaction is. <laughs> uh, and so uh, you, you mentioned the way people can find the song. What's just the best way to keep tabs on you and uh, know what's new and what's coming? Is there is a website, social media? Well, um, we are the most active on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. And both of those are tag, so to speak, is Austin Mo official. But on Facebook, there's an underscore in between my last name and the word official. And we'll pop right up. And I try and post, you know, a couple times a week of what we're doing and all that stuff. And, you know, hopefully I don't have a countdown timer or anything, but sooner or later, maybe we can start doing some shows again and melting face yeah i mean it's it's tough because you know you, you, you the if we had this conversation two months ago i would have felt like oh yeah probably because you know mm -hmm. you, you definitely saw shows that were happening in other parts of the country it's a little hard to figure out but uh then now there's news of people getting a vaccine and then you feel like all right i don't i don't know that maybe somebody's gonna you know play at, at like wembley arena in 2021 you know i don't know about <clears throat> the huge venues but i i think that uh, especially outdoor shows i feel i i don't know i like to think because i want to convince myself of this i think there's going to be a lot of outdoor shows this summer just maybe you know not the capacity that we're used to but i think people be perfectly happy to you know get out there and just you know see anything again you know and yeah uh, i hope so yeah so well austin it's been uh, great getting to meet you uh, i like i said i love the song can't wait to hear more and uh i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today yeah thank you so much for having me man I, it's an honor yes it is an honor to talk to me isn't it who knows maybe he thought that um I was Dennis Miller. I, I'm not quite sure. But in any case, thanks again to Austin Moe and, of course, to Mitch Perry. That's it for us, and that's it for 2020, mercifully. <laughs> we will be back in early January with our first movie-centric episode in almost a year. Uh, Birds of Prey was the last one and also one of the last movies to come out in general terms. We will have an all-star panel together to talk about Wonder Woman 1984, and I'm uh, really looking forward to talking about that. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Until then, I hope that everyone, and yes, I do mean everyone, every single one of you, even if you stopped listening after 409 episodes, if that's the case, though, how are you here now? I don't know. I do hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. I hope everybody has an incredibly happy new year. And I, I do think we have to expect it to be better than the old year. I mean, it couldn't be worse. Could it? But now... I leave you with Austin Moe and his song, The River. Enjoy it. And we'll see you in 1984 to talk 2021 or something like that. Whatever it is, it'll be next time on The Blackcast. <laughs> <laughs>